Ephesians 3.1 says this, when I think of all of this, think of all of what? Well, all of what, what we've been talking about so, so far this series, all the four weeks leading up to this week, uh, where we started out in week one, that we have an identity, and there's, 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 there's two core identities, that's just two sides of the same coin, that we are a saint, we are made a saint by God. But we are also a faithful follower. And as soon as we become a faithful follower, we become a saint. And, as soon as, and because we are a saint, we are also a faithful follower. And this series is about what the identity of a saint is. And so we can put our identity in so many things. We can put it in the shoes that we wear. Well, maybe not your shoes, Gideon, but yeah. Okay, all right. All right. But we can put it in the shoes that we wear. Nicole's brother's a little bit like that. He's got Air Jordans all over the place. Maybe he wished that he was, could jump. and Maybe he wished he was black. I don't know. But we can put it in our job. We can put it in our car or our stuff or our home. Or we can put it in to the relationships that we have. We can put our identity into our, the sin that we have in our life. But even to that, any thing that we make our identity we've actually made our idol so it could be something good i mean the stuff that we have isn't bad material stuff is not bad but when we make it our idol that's when it becomes sin when we make it our identity we have made it our idol and that's when we when we've made it sin the relationships that we have when our relationships define who we are we've made them our idol and that's when it becomes bad this is why this series is so important because god gives us an identity identity in and of itself isn't bad because god has given us an identity it is to reclaim the identity that god wanted us to have in 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 the garden at the very beginning and so as a saint who are we who are we by god's will first of all we are blessed and we took a look at all the blessings that we, we receive intrinsically in christ and we took a look at the power that god gives us as saints that God gives us his power. And what, is a, what does God's power look like fleshed out in our lives? Well, that was the third week and the change that we go through. We were followers of Satan, but now God. So rich in mercy. What does he do? What does he use his power to do? He doesn't just save us of our sins, but he raises us from the dead. Sin does not make make us bad. Our idols do not make us bad. Sin makes us dead. It's worse than bad. Sin makes us dead. And in Christ, we're risen to a new life in Christ. But not only that, he also ascends us up into heaven. So our current and present reality is that we are not just residents on this earth. We are residents in heaven in a very, very, very real way. 
just as real as we're sitting here, that we are also sitting in heaven and that Christ ascends us to that point. And then last week we saw that that change actually changes our teams and that our identity is with a new team. We are in Christ. So now we're going to be taking a, a look at the fifth identity that we have. The fifth aspect of the fifth building block of our, our identity. And that identity is a witness. And some of you just got sweaty palms. You're like, oh no, this is the evangelism sermon. Oh no. He's going to expect me to go to Walmart today and, and convert the checker. Or he's going to out, outlay his plan to knock on every door in Republic. Oh no. But for Paul, witness isn't something we do. It's not something we do. It's who we are. See, the key to all this is to separate our actions from our core identity. And that if, it is something, if witness is the person of who we are, then I'm not asking you to force evangelism. I'm not asking you to be somebody that God has not created you to be. I'm asking you, and actually, really, God is asking you to simply live out who he's making us to be. So Paul is probably the best witness ever who ever lived on the face of the earth. I mean, there's been some pretty good ones, but I say that Paul was probably the best. I mean, he took the gospel to the ends of the earth as they knew it. That day he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And what can we learn from his life about being a witness? But who is a witness? Paul talks about a mystery in chapter 1. And he fleshes out that mystery in, in, in this section of Scripture. But today, as we watch our murder mysteries on TV, what does a good murder mystery need? What does the detective need? It needs evidence. But they're not just looking for physical evidence. They are wanting that I witness. That's gold. For the detective. Sure, they'll take the DNA. Sure, they'll take the thumbprint. Sure, they'll take the smoking gun. Sure, they'll take everything. But, th- but they want the witness. The eyewitness. Just like the Boston bombings. They needed people who took pictures and video of the people that set the bomb. So what does it take to make a good witness? Way back, a long time ago, before Christ, Aristotle Aristotle put out his modes of persuasion. And those of you that have taken speech and debate or some sort of class like that, you know these. He put out his modes of persuasion. If you're going to persuade anybody, and that's what a witness is, a persuader. If you're going to persuade anybody, you need three things. You need logos, you need pathos, you need ethos. Logos, pathos, and ethos. And as we look at this passage, Paul sets out all of those in this passage. So let's continue in chapter 3, verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you, your, you Gentiles. 
Paul starts with ethos, the ethic, the credentials. Why should we listen to Paul? And anytime we talk, the person we are talking to is asking that same question. When I get up here, you are asking, why should I listen to you? You're either saying it in reality or you're saying it sarcastically. Why on earth should I listen to you? And the newer you are to cross point, the more you ask that question. The first week here, you're sitting here, your arms are folded, either literally or figuratively in your mind. You're like, why should I listen to you? But for the rest of you, because you've been here a while, you ask that question and you move on. You're just doing it as a part of listening. But we're always asking the question, why should I listen to you? What is the credibility that you have? That's why when, when, when a guest speaker comes, what do they first do? They establish an ethos, a credential. Why should you listen to me? So here's what Paul is doing with the Ephesians. I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Why should you listen to me? God-given suffering. God-given suffering. He was, a, he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner because he was preaching Christ and they put him in prison. Now a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll, a pastor in Seattle, is doing a, 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 a series going through Ephesians at the same time. They're, they're ahead of us, but they're doing the same exact thing. And, and, and what he said during his sermon uh, in, in this section was that a prisoner in that day was nothing like being a prisoner today. Probably, we think, experts, archaeologists tell us that Paul was probably in a hole, dug straight down into the ground, and they put a guy in, a grate, a guy in, a grate, a guy in, until they fill the hole. Just, just enough to kind of be. You, you don't get out. No meals. No bathroom breaks. Kind of crappy to be on bottom, right? So here Paul is going through God-given suffering. And that adds to his ethos. You know that. You've been there. You've, you've, if, if, if I brought in somebody next week who had been persecuted for their faith, we'd pack this room out, wouldn't we? Because we all want to hear. We, we, there's a credibility behind God-given suffering. To its core, there's three types of suffering. There's just what I would call natural suffering. Because we live in a world that's going to pot. We have, we, we have cancer. We have physical issues. We, we, we have things that nobody can control. Nobody did them to you. You did not do them to yourself. They just happen because we live in a world that is just decaying. And we live in bodies that are decaying. Whether you want to admit it or not, we live in bodies that are decaying. 
It's part of God-given suffering. But there's also suffering that people do to you. Because somebody else has sinned. You deal with the brunt of the suffering. Abuse. Rape. Lies done to you. You deal with the suffering of somebody else's sin. But also, there's a suffering that comes when we sin ourselves. It's a self-inflicted suffering. And all three of those types, God can actually use to give credibility. You know, the first two, we take a look at it, and we're like, God-given suffering. God allows things to happen, but in, in the end, what He is doing is giving us credibility to use. But the last one, you're like, what sin, self-inflicted. Well, that's not God-given. God doesn't give us sin, obviously. But at the same time, and most of us know this, most of us have seen this, most of maybe even utilize this in our life. You know, we, we know the people that they were in addiction, and now they're leading some sort of addiction recovery. The sin, the addiction wasn't God-given, but God had now turned that. That suffering that they imposed on themselves and now turned that and to make it so, into something Dare I even say beautiful? People caught in porn, helping those, or once caught in porn, that has gotten out and helping those get out. And it, all three types of suffering, God uses to add an ethos to our life, a credibility to our life, where people will sit and listen. We've all been through some sort of suffering. And probably all three kinds. Because of the Bible, I know that you've all sinned. And I've sinned. We've all self-imposed suffering on ourselves. Because we live in a fallen, natural uh, world. And other people sin. I know that all of us have had others inflicted sin. Or suffering. And because we live in a world that is just decaying, I know that all of us have dealt with just natural things happen, suffering. And God is using every single one of those to give us an ethos, give us a credibility. But that's not all that goes into our credibility. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. We have a God-given responsibility. A God-given responsibility. Like, how do I know my responsibility? How do I know this? Remember a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 2.10? And God has created us a masterpiece. He has painted a masterpiece that is our life in order to do the good works that He has already determined for our life. That is our God-given responsibility. And so each one of us has a God-given responsibility to walk in. And when we walk in that, we have credibility, we have ethos. But when we try and paint on our own painting, when we try to paint on the painting that God's already painted, 
We lose credibility. We lose ethos. We lose the ability to captivate people's attention with what God has given us because we're not walking in our God-given responsibility. Some translations say stewardship. God-given stewardship. We steward the life, the responsibility that He has given to us. He has created us to create. And inside this responsibility, we're to create. And there's no such thing as secular and sacred responsibility. Like mine is sacred because I lead a church and yours isn't. It's secular because you're in the workplace, in the marketplace. You know what makes it sacred? God. The fact that He's created us to be saints the fact that He's created us to have a special responsibility, when we walk in that, that makes it sacred. So you can be a sacred accountant. You can be a sacred IRS agent. I know, hold on, I know, that's hard to believe, but you can be a sacred IRS agent. You can be a sacred nurse. And you don't even have to work for mercy to be a sacred nurse. You can work for Cox South and still be a sacred nurse. Be a sacred manager in a grocery store. Be a sacred school district board member. I know maybe that's hard to believe, but teacher, nanny, (laughs) looking out for you there. God has given God has given us a responsibility. And when we walk in that, that's what makes it sacred because God has given it to us. Moving on. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. God-given revelation. That there's something that has the lid over it and God simply peels it back and lets you look at it. We'll take a look at the mystery, the clear definition of the mystery of what Paul is talking about and obviously it has to do with the gospel. And ultimately, our responsibility, our God-given responsibility, our God-given suffering, our God-given revelation, ultimately is to point to the gospel, is to point to the mystery that Paul is talking about. However, there is a unique revelation, I believe, that God wants to give to you inside your responsibility that is completely unique. A perspective, a knowledge, a something that God has revealed to you inside of your God-given responsibility. Why does he do that? So that to give you credibility. So that people will listen. So that ultimately it all comes back to the mystery of God that we're about ready to reveal. So maybe he's given you a revelation in music. Maybe he's given you a revelation in accounting. Maybe he's given you a revelation in, in, in trash service. Maybe he's given you a revelation in kids. Maybe he's given you a revelation in something. 
that's unique. He's doing that to give you credibility, to get people to listen to you, and then ultimately so that he can use that God-given revelation to get to the gospel, to show people the ultimate revelation. God-given revelation. It's going to be inside of your God-given responsibility. And really, usually, he draws that out by God-given suffering. There's one more. One more to add to our ethos, our credibility. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God-given insight. God-given wisdom. It's not just revelation. It's not just knowledge. But the ability to use that revelation and then apply it to life. What's good, what good is knowledge if we can't use it? It's what we've done in church in, for years. Set in Sunday school and just download knowledge into people and that's it. What good is revelation if we don't know how to use it? So God's given you a God-given revelation, wisdom, or uh, uh, knowledge into something, and He's going to give you God-given insight to be able to know how to use that knowledge and apply that knowledge and ultimately be able to tell people, hey, this is the revelation, and now this is how you use the revelation. And it's God-given. And this adds to our credibility. This adds to our ethos. This adds to the ability for people to listen to us. But you notice what's the same about all four of these? What is it? Every one of these is God. Given. Paul didn't say, you know what? I studied for years underneath the best pharisaical teaching there was on the planet. That's what gives me credibility. Paul didn't say, you know what? I studied for 14 years. After returning to Christ, I studied for 14 years getting ready for for the ministry that that God had for me. Paul didn't say that. Paul didn't say, you know what? You know what gives me credibility? My lifestyle gives me credibility. I'm a good person. No, no, he he wouldn't have said, he would have spiritualized it. God has allowed me to do good things and to be a good person. Paul didn't say that. It has nothing to do with him. It is a God-given credibility. See, our ethos and our credibility isn't about what we can do. It's about what God is doing inside of us. See, I'm I'm simply flabbergasted that people would listen to me. I don't have what it takes to get people to listen. I'm not very funny. Don't tell really good stories. I don't have, I'm not smart. I hear other other guys like, holy cow. I don't know how to tie uh, a story in real life very good to 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 the sermon. But what I can rest on is that there's something that is God-given that I had nothing to do with. Absolutely nothing to do with. And He has the same exact thing for every one of us here. Something that's God-given that will give credibility 
to us as a witness. We can search Him for it, but we can't do it to ourselves. But to any good witness, there isn't just a credibility because we have had those professors that had a lot of credibility behind his name, but he was boring. Or, I'm sorry, that he had nothing to say. Nothing good to say. You're like, he's got PhDs that will fill the screen, but what is coming out of his mouth doesn't make any sense. He has nothing to say. Usually they're on CNN or MS. MSNBC, whatever that is, and Fox News, you know, usually they're on there blabbing, blah, 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 blah. A lot of credibility, not a whole lot to say. In order for us to be a good witness, we have to have content. We have to have logos. We have to have the word. We have to have something to say. And so here's what Paul had to say. Here's his logos. Ephesians 3, 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are a part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. All of that there boiled down to that last phrase. What is the mystery that everybody, Jews and Gentiles, Fans, non-fans, religious, non-religious, grew up in church, didn't grow up in church, close to God, far from God, everybody can belong to Jesus. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. You're like, that's not much of a mystery. No, it's not. That's kind of what Paul's deal is. Like, here's the can. I just opened the can. There's the mystery. Everybody, doesn't matter your background, can belong to Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the logos. That's the content. That's the content that we go with us. That's the evangelism training I have for you. Everyone can belong to Jesus. That's all you need to know. Go to work tomorrow thinking everyone can belong to Jesus. Go to your neighborhoods. Everyone can belong to Jesus. doesn't matter how far away they are. Everyone can belong to Jesus. Go to our school. Everyone can belong to Jesus. Go to Walmart. Everyone can belong to Jesus. That is what we need to know. That is the logos. So all of the ethos is leading to our logos. All of our credibility is leading to the content. He gives us credibility in order to get to the content of everybody can be close to God. The very first thing that Mark recorded Jesus saying was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. It is close. Some guys have a tendency to use that as a beat stick. That was not what Jesus had in mind. It was a message of hope. You think God is so far away. He hasn't spoken for 400 years. The guys that claim to know God right now are simply hoarding God. You think God is far away. But Jesus is saying, no, he's not. He's right here. He's right here close. And the only thing it takes to see that is repentance. It's not getting your life better. It's not cleaning yourself up. It's not following the rules of religion. It's not following the rules of Phariseeism uh, for, for Jesus' day. It's not to follow the rules of, 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 of legalism. It's not following the rules of fundamentalism. It's not following the rules. It's not, it's not anything. And it's not that you've had a life that's so bad that he is far away from you. 
the content, the message is God is close. God is close. And all it takes is repentance to see that. What is repentance? My bad, God. I've blown it. I want to be close. That's the message we take with us. That's why He gives us credibility in our life to get to that message. That's why He gives us a responsibility with music or with preaching or teaching or, or with kids or with numbers or with computers or with whatever, art, with whatever, is to get to this content, to get to this message, to get to this mystery that everybody can be close to God. That's the evangelism training. That's all the evangelism training we ever, ever need. That's it. God can be close. God sent His Son to be close. But, like I was mentioning earlier, got ahead of myself, we know those guys that have good content. They're really not good at presenting it. We had those professors before. They have the credentials. They have the good content, but they're boring as all get out. I had a professor. He was our, uh, he was our, uh, hist- our church history professor. I, you know what? I really think that he didn't just research church history. He really talked to Martin Luther. No, not King. Martin Luther. Reformation. He was that old. We were like taking over-under bets in class. You know, he's going to fall asleep over under 32 and a half minutes, you know. Oh, dang it, he stayed awake, you know. And he wrote the book. He wrote the book that we used in church history. And then in class, and then in class, both Church History 1 and Church History 2. He wrote both books. And class was him reading the book to us in monotone for 50 minutes. If you were lucky enough to have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday course. Yes! We all, we all had those professors. We all had those teachers. They had good content, but... Oh, gouge out my eyes. Pathos. Passion. Not just the credibility that we have. Not just the content that we have, but how we present it. Now, now passion can overwhelm logos and ethos, right? Passion can overwhelm logos. Passion can overwhelm content. Usually we call those the late night TV evangelists. And unless you go, hold on a second here, you're going to fork over everything you own to the guy. Then, about five years later, the enterprise will come tumbling down, usually because of a sexual scandal. But anyway, that's another message. Pathos can overwhelm logos, and usually that is all bad. Now, pathos can overwhelm ethos or credibility, or passion can overwhelm credibility in a good way. So somebody that gets up here that's kind of young, that's kind of raw, but they have good content to say, 
their pathos, their passion can overwhelm the fact that they don't really have a really good resume. Right? It can also overwhelm in a bad way that, you know, their passion overwhelms the fact that, you know, they really don't have anything to say anyway. They don't have much credibility because they don't have anything to say. But it is in the center of all of these three that when, when, when all of these three line up and it's the center of that that we find God's power as a witness. So what goes into pathos? What goes into passion? It is actually more than just getting up here and going... That seems a little bit like who framed Roger Rabbit there, but... Like they're coming out with like the 25th anniversary edition of Who Framed Roger Rabbit here. And I saw that, I was like, oh man, 25 years, holy cow. Anyway, pathos is more than getting up here and just going crazy. Without the credibility, it, it, it's just cotton candy. So what is Pathos. By God's great and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Pathos is confidence. But it's not confidence in our own ability. It's not confidence in ourselves. What did He say by God's grace and mighty power? It's confidence in God's power and grace at work in our life. And so when we are looking at our God-given responsibility and our God-given revelation and our God-given insight and our God-given suffering, that is actually where we are the most vulnerable it's easier to go do something else because we're not as vulnerable in something else because the god-given credibility that he's given us is actually a part of our identity it's who we are so if we go out and do what god has created us to do and somebody doesn't like it it's not an attack on our work. It's not an attack on, on what we do. We can separate that. It is an attack on who we are. And so in order to not risk getting ourselves out there, we will just go, that's okay. I'll just get somewhere close. But I'm not going to really step into what God really has for me because that will leave me way too vulnerable. That's something that we all face. There's something right now that personally I keep getting close to doing but I kind of procrastinate and put it off because it leaves me too vulnerable to criticism. But as every day goes by, I see it more and more and more of God's given responsibility to go ahead and step out and do it. But it will leave me too vulnerable, and so I just kind of get up to the edge of it and skirt it. God-given confidence, or confidence in what God is doing, the power that He has, and the grace that He has. I feel like I'm a fairly confident guy when I get up in front of you. But that's only merely based on the fact that it's His Word that brings power. 
It's God that brings power through His Word. Well, that's why I preach the way I do. Like I said, I'm not the funniest guy on the block. You can go hear funnier guys than me. I'm not the most insightful. I'm not the wisest. I'm not the smartest. So therefore, I have to have a confidence that's beyond who I am as a person. It's based on what God wants to do through the revelation of His Word into your life. Not so much anymore. I mean, it, it goes up and down, but you know, Nicole can tell you that I'm not always the most confident of guys. I have my moments where I go home and go, what, what is this all about? What's happening here? It's a God-given confidence or confidence in the power that God has as He's working through the responsibility that He gives us, the insight that He gives us, the revelation that He gives us, and the suffering that He gives us. We have confidence that He is working in power in our life to go out and do what He wants us to do. And Paul has this confidence. But, confidence without this next thing is simply cockiness. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Confidence without humility is simply cockiness. Right, Gideon? <laughs> and so Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm the least of all apostles. I was the one that was persecuting and killing Christians. I'm the least of all apostles. He was still humble about the ministry that he had. He was humble about the responsibility that he had. He didn't go out and beat his chest and say, this is all mine. He said, it, it is simply by God's grace that I get to do what I do because I am the least of all apostles. I was killing Christians before I got to do this. Humility isn't self-deprecation. Humility, humility is understanding our place somewhere below God and above animals. Knowing our place. So it is not humility to deny our God-given responsibility. That's not humility. It's humility to walk in our God-given responsibility and simply say, God gave it. God gave it. I'm not deserving of this. I'm the least person that is deserving of this. I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. But God gave it anyway. So I'm here. But also, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept, has, had kept secret from the beginning. To our pathos, we need purpose. Purpose. We don't just need confidence, we don't just need humility, but we need a purpose in what we say. For Paul, his purpose was to get this mystery to everyone. Everyone was what drove him. Everyone was what kept him going. Everyone was what kept him seeking God in the bottom of what they called a jail cell as stuff landed on him. 
purpose. Everyone, everyone, everyone. That's what drove Paul. Everyone needs this message. Everyone needs this mystery. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And that's what should drive us as well. Everyone needs this mystery. Everyone needs this message. Everyone needs this gospel. Everyone needs to know that they can belong to Christ. Everyone needs to know that God is close to them. Everyone, 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 everyone. That leads us to do God's given responsibility. That leads us to the content. That leads us to the confidence. That leads us to the humility that everyone needs the mystery. Paul doesn't just stop with him. He said, lost my place. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. The church. Who's the church? Saints. Saints. Faithful followers. That's the church. Use the church. So how does he want to use us? This is our pathos. This is our pathos. To display his wisdom and his rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, time out here, Paul. This is our purpose? That we are to display God's wisdom in all its rich variety? To, not to everyone, but to the unseen rulers and authorities? How do we do that? Paul, have you lost your mind? We're human. We can't, we can't do this to unseen rulers and authorities. Hold on a second. Remember Ephesians 2? Where have we ascended? The heavenly realms. So when we tell somebody, Gideon is going to be my example. When we tell somebody, hey, look, Gideon, Mr. Unsaved Person, for now, what, just a second. I don't believe, you just, so we're good. Yeah, metaphorically speaking. Um, when we tell this Mr. Unsaved person, look, you can come close to God because God's already come close to you. You know what's happening in the unseen world? You know what's occurring? We're kicking Satan in the junk. Not kicking you in the junk, all right? Just, I want to be very clear about that, all right? So we, there's something happening in a world we can't see because we are residents of that world. And really, Gideon's problem isn't necessarily that he's bad, it's because he's dead. And why is he dead? Because he's a follower of Satan, and Satan makes him dead, is pulling him down into the grave with him. So when we are saying, look, Christ came to make you alive, we are telling Satan to take a hike. And we're telling angels, hey, come in and restore this guy. Come in and heal this guy. Come in and save this guy. This is all that's happening. I mean, does this not want to leave us like going, holy cow. This is what happens when we tell somebody, look, Christ died to give you life. That's what's happening in a world that we can't see. That's our purpose now. That we are fighting a battle is as Paul says, that is not a flesh and blood in chapter 6. We'll get there June 23rd. Not a flesh and blood, but against the princes and the principalities of the air. We have a battle that's going on that we can't see. And that's our purpose, is to fight this battle. But also, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a humility. We understand this isn't our plan. 
This isn't what we came up with. And we don't really do it. When we kick Satan in the junk, it's not our leg that's doing it. It's God's leg and God's power that's doing it. So we have a humility about us knowing that it's not my power that's, that's defeating Satan. It's not my plan that's defeating Satan. It is simply God's plan and God's power that's defeating Satan. I just get somehow to be a part of it. And like, I don't know how, but I praise God that I get to be a part of it. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We also have a confidence about us that we have full access to God and we can come into God's presence confidently. Are we coming into God's presence daily, confidently, throughout our day? Are we coming into His presence? That's where we find our power. It's the whole purpose of, of our cheat sheet is to, is to help you go home and have some sort of plan. And if you already have a plan that you're executing about being with God, reading the Bible, great, have that plan. But I want to give you a plan to see God's power work through His Word. We're coming confidently before God daily and throughout our day. He says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Look, Paul's like, look, guys, it doesn't matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter what's going on, what's happening to me. There's something bigger at stake here. We are witnesses to the mystery. We are witnesses to the mystery. And God wants to use us to reveal the mystery to people who it's still covered to because there are people that un- don't understand the mystery of Christ and that Christ died to bring us close to God. So it's not about going out and manning up and knocking on doors. It's about having the pathos, the ethos, the logos down inside of us to make us into somebody who is a witness wherever we go. As the band plays, just consider what God is doing and how He's building these things into your life. For those of you that haven't come to God, maybe not come to God yet, it's quite simple. God's come close to you. God's come close to you already. All it takes is repentance. My bad, God. My bad. I want to be close to you now. That's all it takes. So as the band plays, you can go ahead and stand. If you need to pray with somebody, I'm here, Shelly's here, grab somebody that you, that you trust. But simply do business with God as He's speaking to you about how He's making you into a witness of Him. Dear follower, I thank you for this time. I just pray, Lord, that you will work in us to become a witness of you. A powerful witness. Because of what you are doing. Not because of anything that we're doing. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand.